Hey everybody, we are back with the fourth Internet of Things podcast. This is Stacy Higginbotham and my co-host... Kevin Toffel. Here with... Uh, oh, I already said that. The fourth. The fourth. Yes. The fourth Internet of Things podcast. You can see. I'm going to say it two more times just We've because... We've had three episodes so far. Next week's will be probably the fifth. Yeah, yes. That's yes. how it works. That is <laughs> counting. It's so easy. Mm. See, if only I messed up on the third, because then I could do like a whole Monty Python thing. But no, ah. the, the three, no, five, no, three. But no, I it's can't. Four. It's four. Okay, so this week we have some exciting things for people who like to get outside in the springtime and garden. Mm -hmm. um, we have the launch of a really cool, I think it's really cool product. Kevin, Kevin's kind of, eh, eh. I, I just don't have a, a direct need for this, but I know a lot of people would appreciate this. See, I, I don't actually have a huge need for it because my yard is Xeriscaped. Mm -hmm. um, or as my daughter calls it, zero-scaped. Mm -hmm. But since I live in Texas, which is hugely drought-prone, I have basically a bunch of decorative rocks and some succulent cactuses in my yard. And But I do have this tiny little patch in the back that has like things that I like to grow, like herbs and like a shrub. It's a lovely shrub. That's nice. <laughs> You're like, it's better than a rock. It is. It's, it's a little bit of greenery. Mm -hmm. So this product is called the Eden it, well, it's called Eden, and there's two products. There's a garden sensor and a water valve. And this is E-D-Y-N. Yes. Eden. So a, a play, I'm sure, on the proverbial Eden, as in the garden of. Mm -hmm. um, and what this is, it is one of the connected sensors for your garden. But unlike many of the kind of older generation sensors for your garden, this, this does more. It's, mm -hmm. it's smarter. It's two pieces. There is a garden sensor that takes the soil data and kind of weather data. The weather data actually comes, I believe, from your phone or rather mm -hmm. from the internet. Right. And then the water valve connects to a source of water. A hose. A, a hose <laughs> or a sprinkler system and turns and allows you to shut it on and off as needed. Basically, you plop this in the ground and it says, hey, your soil is this kind of soil. You should add more of this because your soil needs more worm casings or alfalfa sprouts or compost or, I don't know, things that make your soil better. Then you can plant the following kinds of plants in the soil based on these weather conditions that you have in your hardiness zone. Can you tell that I'm like a half-hearted gardener here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what? You're, you're hitting the high point of this product because it doesn't just take the data and say, your soil pH is too high or too low, go do this. It goes a lot further because it says these are the types of plants that you should be planting in your garden, such as for vegetables, fruits, herbs, etc. And so it's all, it's taking all the data from the sensors, um, which are light, humidity, temperature, soil, nutrition, etc. And it's telling you, you know, at a very low level what you should be planting, which I like. Yes, I would say it tells you at a high level as opposed to the low level. Because a lot of products tell you like, they give you like these beautiful charts where you're just like, wow, I can see my pH going from day to day. And then you're like, whoa, I don't know what to do with that information. Exactly. But this yeah. is just like, you know what? Judging by this, you should plant legumes. You're like, sweet. Yeah. And you're like, well, what if I want to plant strawberries? I don't know if I say to it, I imagine if I said to it, given where I live, I want to plant strawberries, it would be like, just don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, if it's not on the list of 
things that would thrive in your soil and your environment, I, it probably wouldn't even show it. So, But it would be kind of neat if it could say, you know, if you want to plant this, you should probably add, like, if there are things you want to do mm -hmm. and could live if you added, like, things that are add addable, like peat moss <laughs> or, you know, sure, if you make your soil just a little bit more gritty, and by gritty, I mean, like, add things to make it drain a little bit better, mm -hmm. then you could totally do that. I like this. It is available on pre-order. It will start shipping in spring 2015. I feel that it is spring 2015, so it should I would start, agree. start shipping. What's the cost on this? I was just about to tell you that. Oh, look at that. Ta-da! The Eden Garden Sensor costs $99.99. Mm -hmm. I would call that 100 bucks. And the Eden Water Valve costs $59.99, which I would call 60 bucks. So that gets you started. And they're saying one sensor is good for about 250 square feet. Uh, so if you have multiple watering zones, you may need more sensors. So I totally understand that. These are Wi-Fi connected. And it looks like they only work, this only works with an iOS app from what I can see, but I'm not 100% sure on that. What I, I like, and you mentioned it actually right before the show, um, being a big solar panel guy, I like the fact that there are uh, what looks to be solar, small solar cells on top of all these sensors and such. There are these. Oh yeah, these are powered. They're powered on them, their own. So I like the fact that you just stick them out there and they do their thing. Mm -hmm. It does look like it's iOS only, which is really sad because I was thinking of purchasing these for myself. Yeah, I, I mean, it, this is typical right now in the industry. Has been for years. I'm not terribly surprised. Um, I suspect that if they, you know, do well in selling these products, they'll have enough funds to devote resources towards putting an Android app together. Again, I'm assuming I'm I'm only seeing iOS on their site. It doesn't say in the FAQs or anything about about this. So. It doesn't. It also says in the FAQs that there is a battery, so these mm -hmm. both have solar power and a backup battery. Right. Right. Um, and they are. They say they plan to open up their API to third-party developers uh, next year, which. There could be some interesting integrations coming. There could. I'm trying to think of what I would want integrated. I mean, there's different oh, weather. I oh, when my son pulls home in the driveway or walks down the driveway, I'd love to have the water go on. That'd be great. <laughs> little motion sensor. <laughs> little motion sensor. Or when people come TP, TP your house. <laughs> there you like, go. Between the hours of X and X. Well, Light them up with the hose. <laughs> go, Eden, go. Yeah, I, I bought it for my garden. Really? I bought it to soak the kids when they <laughs> walk through my lawn. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I can see. It. That's true. Oh, yeah. Like your neighbor who always has their dog come poop in your yard. There you go. Oh, you can, I like. You can, you can poop in this yard, but you're going to pay for it. <laughs> I like your malicious streak here. I wasn't even thinking about that. When I have an iPhone, maybe I'll get this. <laughs> no, no. Um, I'm well, sure that's not what the Eden folks meant this to be. So that is your spring gardening update kind of product, um, the Eden. I will look for that. And if anyone tries it out, let me know. I will be excited to hear your your take on that. And if you want to send us a actually a tip or email, you can just send it to info at iotpodcast.com. And email address now. We do, we've had one for a while. I just haven't Step shared it, it. We are we are going real legit. Folks, I'm finding this out as you are. I mean, this is breaking news. <laughs> breaking news. Last week we had a closing. Now this week we have an email. Stay yeah. tuned. What else might we get? All right. And animated so, GIFs on our website. <laughs> no animated GIFs on the website. Okay. okay. No, oh, no. well, no, we could have animated GIFs. We could do that. Yeah, with a little sprinkler going on and off on the kids. There, You set that up, Kevin, <laughs> and then we'll go. We'll, 
Uh, you know what? Actually, I'm going to try to set up. This is going to be. Mm. Oh, I think my husband listens. He listens to the podcast, but I don't think he ever goes this deep. For Father's Day, I want to set up. This is probably way TMI, but here gonna, we go. I'm going to order a hue light for inside of our bathroom because we have like in our master bath we have like a little toilet room, right? Mm-hmm. And there's we didn't put an outlet in for a nightlight, so you know if you're in the middle of the night and you have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night you have to go in and you turn on the light it's so bright and you're like oh my god what's happening Mm. so i realized i don't know why it took me this long to realize but i'm going to install a hue light because there's a down light in there Mm -hmm. so i'm going to install the 60 dollars hue light and a little motion detector and i'm going to set it up via smart things so during the day, when you set off the motion detector, the light is just going to go on. So you'll no longer need to hit the light switch in the bathroom. Okay. So light just goes on. But after about 1030 at night, then when you go in, I'm going to set the hue to go to a red light because red light doesn't wake people up. Mm, right. So I'm going to set it to go to kind of a lower red light. So mm-hmm. then you can still see, but it's not going to be like, not oh my blinding. God, I'm awake. It is four in the morning. Yeah. So that's, that's better than I thought what you were going to do with it. I thought you were going to have different colors to signal what you did in the bathroom or something. Okay. Now, see, that's just that's just way too much information. I'm just saying, you know, it's, you talk about the light, changing the light colors on the hue all the time. I, I was like, where's she going with this? But no, the red light works. Actually, when I go out uh, stargazing and such, I have red film covers for over my flashlights and such for that very reason. See, You don't, so... don't want to lose your night vision, which is very important when you're sleeping. I was about to say, actually, you know? I want no vision when I'm sleeping, except <laughs> when I'm going to the bathroom. So this way, it's it's more important, actually, when my husband goes to the bathroom. Now, there's the too much information. Okay. So that's that's my plan. I'm going to set it up. I don't think I'm going to tell him. And then, so one night, he's just going to like be like, what just happened? Yeah. That might wake him up a little bit. But then I think he'll be excited. You might want to tell him in advance. No, no. Oh, okay. I, 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 really, he's going to be half asleep. He may okay. not even notice. I mean, that, depends on how That would be ideal. Sleep. He'd be less awake. That's a good point. See? Then I'll okay. know I'm really successful. Mm. So there we go. Because that's like, I already have a motion detector I'm not using. It's the cost of a $60 light bulb plus like maybe five to 10 minutes of programming that. It's just simple. Like after between the hours of 10 and like six in the morning. Mm-hmm. Makes do sense. this red color the rest of the time. And that way we don't even have to flip a switch on and off. So... That's going to be, I was going to do it for Father's Day because that'd be so easy, but maybe I'll do it sooner. All right. Speaking of like crazy home lighting. Oh, I did it. I talked about lighting. I'm sorry. I knew you would. <laughs> Even before the show. This, let me let me give people just a little bit of back backside information here. Before the show, we talk about what we're going to talk about on the show. And as soon as Stacey gets on the Skype, I'm like, okay, so what light bulbs did you try this week? I did. boom. I did. You know, I was expecting some new light bulbs, but they haven't arrived yet. So next uh, week. Next week. There you next go. Week. These are these are supposed to be like awesome. You guys will see. The Internet of Lights show. It's true. I'm not even going to Light Fair. So there we, <laughs> there we go. Imagine if I went to that, you guys. Okay. So speaking of light bulbs, for the last week, I've been controlling my lights from my phone, which is not unusual. But what is unusual, I've been controlling it from two new apps that let me basically control from the lock screen of my Android phone. Nice. And we've actually talked about one of these on the show in its old incarnation when it was a GigaOM. It was an app called You Know Me, and you guys may remember it because it woke me up at midnight playing my radio 
mm-hmm. because it thought I came home. They fixed that um, with an update. So that that's good. Um, but the new one I wanted to kind of dig into is called Reach. And it's on Android only right now. So this, if you've got an iOS, I'm sorry, just, just, just fast forward this next section. Um, but basically what it does, it supports Wi-Fi devices for the most part. And right now in my house, it is supporting the Nest, the Hue, and my Sona, Sonoses. But it also supports a bunch of other devices that I don't have. And what's cool about it is... Whenever you walk into a place that has any of these devices, it will automatically detect them on the Wi-Fi network. And it'll be like, hey, yo, do you want to connect these things? And these devices are a Chromecast, anything made by LG, like a smart TV, a Roku, LifeX bulbs, and then the other devices that I mentioned. So Wemo, Nest, Sonos, and Hue lights. Um, I will say I've been having issues with my Nest. It keeps making me link my account. Um, So every couple days it's like, oh, now you need to relink your account. And I think that's because it's an unofficial mm. Nest integration. So there's the, ben- be. the benefits of being official versus unofficial. But I love it because all that I do is it comes down on my notification screen and I can do, it's, it's very much designed for those quick things like, oh, someone's at my door. Let me just pause my Sonos music really fast. So I, I, I pull down the notification screen and I just hit pause and you can see... Mm-hmm. Like all, I see all six of my Sonos players and I can hit pause. Or when I'm going to bed at night, I just pull down the notification screen and I can turn off my bedside table light with my hue really fast. It's in, in granted because of, because of how I live and how many things I test, I have a dozen different ways to do Mm. a lot of these things, but I have to say doing it from the lock screen Mm-hmm. is really freaking sweet, you guys. Yeah, this is this is a very clever implementation. I guess they're using all the APIs from these various devices and consolidating all the controls right into that pull-down notification shade on Android. And that's just a beautiful thing. I'm looking at the, the interface on the Google Play Store right now. This is a free app. It's in beta. Uh, I Actually, it took me a while to find it It's because there's a lot of apps called Reach. So if you do search, do a search for Reach Smart Home. Uh, that's where you'll find it. It's uh, built by or developed by JCH Connected Tech Inc. And uh, yeah, I mean, Stacy had showed it to me um, on a Skype video chat uh, not too long ago, and you know, I got to see it in action. It was kind of neat how it recognizes and finds all the devices quickly. Uh, just looks really clean, and it's the consolidation. You know, you know, I, I talk about using a phone to connect to all these devices and control them. I actually like that. Do I like going to all these different apps? No, I do not. So. This is a, I, I like this idea. And because these are, it, this is almost like a widget in a sense. It is. Because, it's... Yeah. Because it is, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't see it here yet, but it wouldn't surprise me to see them easily port this over to Android Wear watches. And if they ever come out with an iOS version, again, on the Apple Watch, where you could just have all those things within, you know, an easy swipe away. And they will. They're, they're going to be doing an iOS version. And mm-hmm. they, they are looking at their whole goal is to do is to not replicate all the features. It is to do something that is it is to do the quick features yep. in the easiest format. So they're very right. much looking at watches. They're very much looking mm-hmm. at easy ways to implement things outside of screens even. Right. So 
Yeah, you're you're getting you're not. It doesn't look like you have total control over all these devices. What you have is the most likely things you're going to want to do with them: turn them on, turn them off. If such if it's a light, um, play or pause on a Sonos, or change the volume on a Chromecast, you know, or something you're streaming to a Chromecast. So I, I like the simplistic idea because it's quick, one pull down, and you're there. Yes, and I love it. So cool. I've been having a lot of fun with it. The first time, it in its. Again, it's in beta. It's gotten progressively better. Like the first time I downloaded it, oh my God, it crashed every five seconds. Now it very rarely crashes. Um, So if you're on an Android and you like to play around with this stuff and you have a lot of these devices, I highly recommend you give this a try because it is, I'm not going to say it's changed my life, but it is (laughs) a lot of fun to play with. It is definitely something I'm using every day. So check it out. Um, and on the you know me front, they have fixed a lot of their issues with the geolocation. So they added official geolocation. So now you're not getting all these reminders like, oh, you've left the house when you're really still in the house and it's just your Wi-Fi network that's flickered. Mm-hmm. Um, they've kind of tweaked their support for a lot of their devices. So it's much better. And that my final thing on all of this stuff that I would say is I'm going to do a, I'm going to beg the guys over at Wemo. You, you guys need to work on your API. I, I have talked to a lot of the people in the dev community and as someone who owns the Wemo stuff and is connecting it to a lot of things, mm-hmm. I'm getting progressively more frustrated as a user because my Wemo doesn't know if it's on or off and the more things I connect it to, the harder it's becoming for it to know what its state of being is. And that's that's becoming very frustrating for me as the end user. And one solution is obviously like, hey, Stacy, maybe you shouldn't connect it to the Reach app and to the Echo and to the SmartThings app and to all these other things. But I don't know if that's really and to if this and that and <laughs> <laughs> well you're you're not the typical person that is you know that is out there buying these products you're trying them all and you're trying to make them all work together you know for a you know for, because we cover it because we talk about it because we have to understand it um so i i can understand you know i can too but even on this reach app for example the wemo the wemo implementation is a little frustrating for even the developers because it's just Mm. kind of a dodgy it's a little iffy on the implementation side and for the echo people again they have some issues and i suspect their issues with it sometimes working and sometimes not working not just because i've gotten the code words wrong which is another issue is because of the api setup so mm. I'm trying to get the Wemo people to talk to me because I know they've been trying to revamp their API. So I'm hoping that this is coming down the pike, but I would really like as an end user because I know that I try everything out, but I think a lot of people are connecting. Yeah. Let's put it this way. When you start connecting one or two things in your house and then there's all these other products, you're going to want to look and see what else you can fit into your environment. So I get that. I do. I mean, you know, connecting like an if this, then that, you're mm-hmm. like, yeah, that'd be fun. And then maybe you're like, maybe if mm-hmm. Wemo does a works with Nest, then mm-hmm. suddenly you're like, uh-oh, now I've oh, got yeah. two. Yep. And if they don't work or that, that's just yeah. frustrating. I agree. So on, on that kind of grim note, 
on my, please, Wemo, help us out. We will leave for this week. And so we've got cool new products for you, some new software that's free. So we'll <laughs> leave you, we'll leave you with that and stay tuned because we have our guest for for this week is Michael Simon, who is the CEO and chairman of LogMeIn, which has utterly revamped its Zively IoT platform. So we're gonna talk about businesses and the internet of things and kind of how they're starting to do some cool stuff with that. Hey everybody, we are back with the Internet of Things podcast and today's guest is Michael Simon, the CEO and chairman of LogMeIn. Hello, Michael. Good morning, Stacey. Good morning. I am so glad to have you on the show. And for those of you guys who are like, wait, what is LogMeIn doing on the show? LogMeIn is the company behind Zively. It is a cloud platform for hosting, well, hosting Internet of Things type services. Michael probably has a better way to describe that. You want to you want to give it a go? Sure. So Zively is a product that LogMeIn makes. And by product, I mean it's a, a, a bunch of services that um, we sell to companies who are trying to themselves ship uh, IoT products. If I've been a company that has been making, oh, for example, uh, home lighting for, for uh, decades, and I suddenly want to have IoT interactive home lighting, um, there's a lot of technology that needs to be implemented to make that all work. And Zively's in the business of delivering that technology to companies. All right, guys, you heard him. He brought up lighting. I did not. All right. So you actually have done a great job explaining to me your customer base. And in doing so, you actually helped me kind of segment the IoT market for businesses. And I'd love for you to do that for our audience. So you guys provide your service to a certain kind of clientele. And it's those companies that offer an existing service and by making it connected, they actually can help basically do it better and hopefully increase their profits and maybe even make it cheaper for their end customers. Can you kind of talk to me about kind of the low hanging fruit for a connected service business? Yeah. So we, we make a pretty clear distinction between a product that is connected to the internet and a what we call a connected product business. Uh, and at first, it sounds well, it sounds sound the same. I have two things connected to the internet. What's what's the difference? You know, what HP printers have been connected to the internet for years. Is is that an IoT product? And and we would say no, not not really. And for us, a, a connected product business is really defined by the notion that you have a product. You have a user or a customer, and you have the company itself. And in a connected product business, there's sort of an ongoing, really enduring relationship between those three uh, parties. And it's not just simply so that the company can keep tabs on what's going on. It's actually that by having that relationship, significant value is, is delivered to the customer, that the product or service is substantially better by actually having that ongoing uh, relationship. What would an example of this be? Well, I think any, any company that has needs for logistics, pickup, delivery, maybe uh, replacement and replenishment of a part, like a filter, 
is, is a perfect candidate for a connected product business. So you could, you could imagine something as simple as a shredding bin. There's, there's companies that will um, have a secure place you can throw papers. They'll, uh, when it's full, they'll pick them up and shred them for you. Pretty simple business in its construction. The device itself, the, the bin, which is kind of like a garbage can with a lock on it, is not terribly high tech uh, in its construction. But you could imagine if I added some intelligence to that, a sensor that would report when that bin is full, it could be a substantially better service. So from, from the customer standpoint, they wouldn't have to ever worry about it overflowing and being you know, full beyond capacity. Uh, at the same time, from the, the company standpoint, they actually would be able to dramatically reduce truck rolls and still maintain a very high quality of service, meaning if the bins told the company when they're full, I could do a better job of sending people to service and empty those bins in a way that is, uh, has a better balance between reducing the cost, but also at the same time delivering a very high quality of service. And those types of business, there's just literally, you know, a, a massive portion of the U.S. economy and the world economy. And we feel like those those types of companies, the sooner they can become IoT enabled, the sooner they will have a better business. Sure. And you guys have been doing this for, for several years. And I can think there are vending machine companies, there are restaurants, or rather there, there are companies that monitor like refrigerators and restaurants. There, there's, you're right, there's scads of these things. And in the years that you guys have been doing this, what is the evolution that you've seen in your customers? Like, do they call you and they're like, I have just read about the Internet of Things and now I'm a shredding company and I want to put, you know, modules on my trash cans that enable me to do like just in time truck rolls? Or is it a little bit more gradual? Like, what is the evolution of the connected business model, I guess? Yeah, so we're, we're seeing a, a repeating pattern, and, and it's, it's interesting to us because the, the scope of companies we interact with really cover the entire economic spe- spectrum, um, from industrial, light industrial applications to pure consumer. Um, for example, we have a smart uh, a company that makes uh, smart products for pets, uh, to life sciences company, everything in between. And the, even though the businesses are very, very different, um, sort of the uh, uh, evolution of the company's thinking on IoT usually follows a similar path. And, and they start with they want feature enablement. They want the product to be better, maybe by having the product interact with a, a, an app on, a, on an iPhone or an Android phone It'll have a better uh, user interface and therefore be a better product. And so step one is often we just want the product to be a little bit better. And we think we can do that by having it interact with a mobile app. We actually have a, a belief that, 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 that you know, with connectivity um, comes possibility. And that possibilities increase with connectivity. And our customers all, all share that belief. And so what they start saying is, all right, well, then how can, it's not just a better product, how can we make the business better? How can we improve the quality of service? How can we get smarter uh, about how people interact um, with our products? And so sort of the second phase is really the data phase. Uh, you, you sometimes hear that 
data is the currency of the IoT. And so sort of phase two is how can we suddenly get much more intelligent about the needs of our customers? How can we start engaging and having a relationship with them? And and that sort of, they realize there's a huge need to, to manage that information. It's, it's, it, the data itself can be overwhelming. Um, just a shocking amount of data can be produced by even the simplest device. So how you actually, what you collect, when you collect it, how do you ensure that it's you know, properly secured and privacy is, is addressed properly. There's, there's sort of a, a data management phase. But then the third phase is, all right, how are we going to make the whole business run? You know, how are we going to integrate our connected products into our overall business and includes, you know, sort of integration into legacy business information systems like your, your ERP system, uh, maybe your Salesforce or CRM system. So there's business integration, but then there's also the need to how, how do I actually engage, you know, with, with my products, customers and partners over time in a way that uh, is, is intelligent and, and drives value both for the customer and the, pro- and the company itself. So we really see this trajectory from can we make it work? How do we get smarter? And then finally, wait a second, how do we actually run a connected business uh, over time, not not just that product launch, but one year, two years, five years down the road. And how how long does this take? The evolution from you know, hey, I've just I want to add a feature to my iPhone to suddenly realizing, oh my gosh, I've got all this data, and realizing that I am now not just a product or a services company, but I am a connected company. So I, I think. Um... So first of all, we try to get people there very quickly. So when we sit down with a, a, a customer or a prospect, we try and walk them through this process. Um, you know, it's, it's, to, to me, I think it's almost like climbing a mountain. Um, if, if you've been to the top once, it's kind of not that hard. If you've never done it, you, you come over a little uh, a peak and you wonder how much further it is to go. Are you really at the top or is it more? And so we're trying to be a guide the journey for a lot of our customers and prospects. I think left to own people's own devices, that that process of discovery can be anywhere from the day they go live to the first time a customer calls with a question. Um, but I, I think it's within a few months people suddenly realize all the potential uh, energy that is that comes with a connected product and the potential, you know, there's both opportunities and obligations with a connected product. And, and I think people learn it pretty quickly, but our job is, is to make them easier and faster. Okay. And as you said, I am a big believer that data is the currency of the internet of things. It's, it's the value. Um, so you guys just launched a, a new version of Zively that has a really interesting product as part of it called Blueprint. And when I saw it, I thought, hey, this is the compliance section, which for a lot of enterprises is really important. And for the Internet of Things is incredibly important because this is this is all about being able to, for lack of a better word, tag data with permissions, with roles like, you know, Sue and accounting can access this data. Um, this customer created this data. 
their permissions associated with it are as follows. It's it's a very complicated thing when we think about, you know, both permissions associated with the customer who's granting the permissions, who at which companies that have access to the data can access it, which companies can access it. So in building that, why did you guys kind of create that in how does that relate to the stages of the business that you know you see companies going through well i actually it's often uh from a customer standpoint it's maybe the second part of their journey they're they oh, we want a product to work then gosh how are we going to manage it once we go live and so blueprint we we just rolled out this week and it was in response to sort of a repeating pattern that we saw of sort of unmet needs for our in our customer base. And Blueprint, what it is, above all else, it's, it's a system that allows our customers to map their business to our cloud service. So it's a place to capture and manage um, basically all the roles and permissions throughout a connected business, from the employees in the business to the products, to the customers, to partners who might service those products. And it's a central place where it allows you, one, to capture who are all the parties, agents, and actors in my connected business. Two, what what do they do? Um, you know, how do they interact uh, with each other? What's the relationship to each other? And then what is their, their, their rights or their permissions? And so Blueprint gives a place that we can say, all right, Customer A is allowed to interact with uh, a certain product, say with a, a particular smart printer. Uh, it also might have in it that customer C can't interact with that same printer, and that but a service agent's allowed to interact with both. So it's um, it's roles, permissions, and relationships for both access to devices, but in the case of what you're talking about, Stacy. Also, access to data, because the, the data that is generated by the IoT is in, enormous in its volume, but also has, you know, a, there's a real need to be able to manage it in a way so that um, through the, the life of that information, it is uh, protected, if you will, um, and associated with the right people and not inadvertently shared with those who, who shouldn't have access to it. So with Blueprint, in the case of data, it means we're not just uh, like many of our customers want to capture time series data. And, and our Zidewee system, you know, it's an important part of it. But rather than just simply capturing data that then you have to sort out in the future, it's actually capturing data that has Blueprint permission information embedded in it so that, A, the information is easy to make sense of, but B, it's also um, uh, properly, you know, access control is properly implemented on top of that from, from its inception. In building that, it sounds like a huge, a huge job. How did you guys kind of think about architecting both Zively, which handles, I don't know, I don't, you'll have to tell me how many hundreds of thousands of nodes. Uh, and then in building kind of what sounds like a huge kind of knowledge graph of relationships and data, how did you design the system? Because that is a problem that a lot of companies who are dealing with the Internet of Things and the back end of that are thinking about. And it's really not something that we've established a common architecture for. 
Yeah, no, it's as a technologist myself, um, it's really genuinely fascinating to work on. And what what makes it um, technically challenging is just the scale. It's hard to fathom just how much information and how many devices are interacting. You know, a normal enterprise would would never have any reason. You know, the largest enterprises in the world, you know, might have, you know, a few hundred thousand employees and they might have, uh, you know, up to seven figures of assets that are interacting with them, mostly desktops and mobile devices, things like that. And so the notion of having tens of millions of devices connected to the live services is something you wouldn't normally have. Now, uh, Zively, which is part of LogMeIn, and we're lucky that we, since 2004, have been running a service that um, has in total connected over 300 million devices and at any point in time typically has in the neighborhood of you know 50 to 70 million devices live. Um, so we, we are, have been exposed to that uh, for years and years. But so, you know, it's really peeling back uh, a layer and saying, all right, well, what did we have to build and implement? Well, a super important part of the IoT is getting data from two and from devices, one to one, one to many, collected and stored. You know, it's, it's sort of data brokerage services and messaging. And so we build our, our well, we have an MQTT, a messaging compliant uh, solution. It's actually built on the data brokerage system that we've used for all of our live services. So if you ever use JoinMe's meeting or LogMe's access product, um, that they're built on uh, our same platform, which we happen to call Gravity, but it's a large-scale, uh, secure data brokerage system. And that's really the anchor tenant of, of uh, Zyway, is, is the data delivery services. But on top of that, then the things like Blueprint, the system for managing roles and permissions, and the data capture, time series data capture, they're really built off off-the-shelf database technologies. We happen to use MySQL and Cassandra and others. And there's not, the technology is off-the-shelf, but in terms of how to deploy it, it, it really had to, we had to do a lot of engineering. We have, we, we have publicly said that um, you know, we have more, LogMe is an 800-employee company, and more than 10% of our employees are actually working on, um, uh, on this platform. Um, so you can do the math, or at least 80, it's actually substantially more than that, are, are actually working on this platform. And what we're focused on is not simply does it work, but does it work at scale? So when we send a message, we have to uh, authenticate that message in real time that it, it actually uh, can be uh, delivered to certain um, products and people, and they have rights to receive that message, uh, and then transmit it on. We have to do that all, you know, in a few milliseconds. And so we've had to build sort of custom systems for data ingestion, custom systems for data retrieval, uh, and and optimize them together in such a way that we get a very uh, low latency delivery of messages at the same time ensuring um, permissioning and authentication uh, as part of that chain. And I believe I saw that it was sub-50 milliseconds. Within our data service itself, it's just a couple milliseconds, but a typical user, the vast, 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 vast majority of the messages we deliver are well under 50 milliseconds. 
oh, that's all the way out to me, like at the end point. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Well, that sounds really impressive. If you want to ever like show us that in like an engineering blog post, you know, let me know because I am, I, I love that stuff. And Michael, thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week. I really appreciate it. And that's it for the Internet of Things podcast. Join us again next week on Wednesday.